everyone. Welcome back to Bird's Eye Astrology Podcast. We are recording at 7.01 p.m. on February 22nd, 2019, and this is episode three. In this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the astrology of March 2019, uh, particularly the Mercury retrograde that is dominating the month. <laughs> the whole way through, almost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how's everyone? So how's everyone doing? What's what's going on? Let's start by figuring out where we're at because we talked about last month and yeah. um, how is how has February worked out for you? Well, um, as soon as Mars hit Taurus, I um, had a band concert, and now I can't go back until the end of the semester because it's too much of a workload for me. So. <laughs> That whole consistent energy thing, kind of, I had to give something up to maintain a pace. Yeah. Like we were talking about, you know, you can't go 100% all the time. I feel that. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. A lot of urgency came up for me in February. I think whenever Mars, yeah, Mars hitting Taurus and Chiron hitting Aries, just a lot of kind of boiling urgency. And, and wanting to sort of leap impulsively into things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is, I got my energy after Mars went into Taurus. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because like, I'm, I'm in a Mars year. Um, and that's, that's a thing we'll go in maybe on a future episode. Uh, but I'm in a time where Mars is super affecting me. And uh, Taurus is my sixth house. Oh, so, Uh, I joined the gym and started working out and eating right like the day Mars went into Taurus. Nice. Nice. So fingers crossed I'll be able to keep it up once Mars goes into Gemini at the end of March. (laughs) It's funny, I joined the gym as well. Oh, (laughs) really? The same day? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It must have been the same day. I found a gym. I didn't join it, but I found it like a new one. Oh, you found a new one. Nice. Well, I wanted a box again. I was a boxer. It's in my chart. We can talk about that at a different time, too. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I wanted to do it again, and it turns out there's one, like, a mile away from my apartment that I didn't know was there. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's one. The one I joined is is walking distance from my apartment, too. Um, Like a 20-minute walk, but still. Same with me. Maybe maybe a 15-minute walk, but still. Nate and I are both... Dave and I are both Sagittarius rising, so yeah. we've both got Taurus as the sixth whole sign house. Yeah, look at you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the uh, that was the big dynamic I felt over the over February, but we still we still have the rest of the month to go. We still have the Venus Pluto conjunction happening tonight as we record oh, this. Stuff. Yes, <laughs> which I'm looking forward to. I'm going to a party in Brooklyn. Ooh, right. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's going to be a Venus Pluto time. Yeah, in the best way possible. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, now we're looking at March, though. I mean, that's going to be a totally different roller coaster. Oh, you know? yeah, like a slow one that's going backwards, like American Eagle. Oh my god! Or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about this Mercury retrograde. Well, it's a retrograde that's that's um, it's a retrograde at twenty nine degrees Pisces, at the yeah. anoretic degree. So um, again, like when I use the word urgency to describe how I felt for a lot of February, there's that there's that quality I think to the last the, the final degrees and the first degree of a new sign. There's this sense yeah. of like, it can turn to something impulsive. It can turn to wanting to kind of definitively end something or start something new, but there's also a certain taking stock that's required at the same time. Well, especially 29 Pisces, you know, it's yeah. not just another sign. It's restarting the whole zodiacal year. Oh. So yeah. Pisces into Aries is always like a being shocked with a car battery or something. It's like, oh, it's a big jump. New time. <laughs> One of the so twenty nine Pisces, the anoretic degree. Uh, anoretic just means the last degree of the sign. Um, 
the analytic degree of any sign is sort of everything going on that with that sign with the volume turned up a notch. Um, right. And it can be it can be really excessive. Um, I I run into twenty nine Pisces a lot, and all of the Pisces vices and virtues are extreme with that. You know, like like I'm I I've I've have a lot of Pisces in my life. I'm used to and comfortable with the Pisces flaws of flaking out and drifting off into the uh, drifting off into outer space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or over serving also on the other side. Oh the, yeah. Turning into the kind of martyr. It's the kind of martyrdom that can happen. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah. It is. So with 29 Pisces, it is all of that. And we've also, we just had Chiron hanging out there for a really long time before he moved into Aries. And the last few weeks of Chiron being at that 29 degree Pisces, everybody I know was getting sick or re-experiencing all of their childhood trauma or dealing with woundedness and extreme deep woundedness in some way. And now Mercury is going to dig into that degree with its retrograde station. So it'll make us, you know, Mercury is a very mental planet. So, I mean, all the pain we just experienced, we could perhaps, especially with the retrograde, driving over it, backing over it, driving over it again, you know, could finally drum it up to the surface and be able to talk about it. You know, it might, or at least communicate it in some way, maybe not use like straight talking but yeah Yeah. so mercury in pisces is we were talking about it a bit last month is words without words or communication without words art and poetry and music and dance and all of that um and so especially while mercury is going retrograde through pisces it's going to be a hard time to communicate using regular words Right. You're going to have to do Mercury stuff in March because you always have to do Mercury stuff. Just give yourself extra time to do it. Don't rely on packages arriving on time. Don't rely <laughs> on trains not being delayed. Nate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not March yet. <laughs> it's in shadow. It's in its shadow. And usually yeah. I don't see nearly as much of the Mercury retrograde effects during the shadow as I have this month. You see I always them see them during first shadow and like never during second shadow. Maybe right. that's, I don't know. That's just I see me. a little of it during first shadow. They well, see- and you know, and backing off of it just a little bit like mercury retrograde has become after sun sign one of the most like pop culture familiar astrological terms but most people don't understand the shadow that there is a it's like a three-part play you know like there's the two shadows can we just like briefly talk about what that is because some people are gonna be like oh my god no way it's way longer than i thought you know what i mean right (laughs) So Mercury stations retrograde on March 5th at 29 degrees Pisces and stations direct on March 28th at 16 degrees Pisces. So before Mercury goes retrograde, it's first going to pass over the area of the sky that it's going to be at between 16 and 29 Pisces. And that's what's referred to as the pre-retrograde shadow. And then after it stations direct at 16 degrees Pisces, it's going to take a minute to get back to 29 where it's stationed retrograde, and that's the post-retrograde shadow. It's one of the key things about retrogrades is that usually, especially a quick-moving planet like Mercury, goes through the zodiac, goes through the sky at a pretty uh, fast clip, But when it stations retrograde, it's paying a lot of attention to the same few degrees for a much longer period of time. Mm -hmm. So whatever is getting activated by those degrees is going to get really activated rather than just uh, a quick flip or a quick uh, 
touch as it would if the planet was just going past at regular speed. That's true for any retrograde. Right. Yes. Yeah, and in this case, I feel like a lot of it is similar a little bit to what you were saying earlier, Margaret, that um, Chiron just went out of Pisces. So Chiron was just hanging out in 29 Pisces for a while. And now the fact that Mercury's stationing 29 Right. Degrees and then in retrograde, right? It's kind of like a revisiting in certain ways of what the what these last dredges of Chiron going through Pisces might have been, um, and in certain ways, um, or rather, we we could say we have an opportunity to gain a little bit more mercurial clarity on what was yeah, going on there. Definitely, especially with Chiron being you know having so much to do with wounding and. Um, where is our medicine? Where is also our wound or wound and also medicine? Um, and, and being a little bit about letting go. The, the 29 degrees being sort of a catalyst to let go of certain things. And we really mm-hmm. don't, I, I think in a lot of cases, at least in my own case, certainly, I don't necessarily know what... I'm, I, I can't necessarily articulate what I'm letting go of uh, after right. this whole Chiron transit through Pisces, but there's definitely something that's trying to shake off. Um, and Mercury gives us an opportunity to, like Arthur was saying, without words, kind of communicate to ourselves in a certain way what, we're, what we might have been letting go of during this time. Right, exactly. Yeah. So water signs are uh, referred to as mute signs. Because the animals, the crab, the scorpion, the fish, don't have voices. So when you've got a mercury in a water sign, it's generally hard for it to communicate. And Pisces is particularly difficult for mercury. Pisces is maybe the most difficult sign for mercury to be in. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is you've got Jupiter ruling Pisces well-placed in Sagittarius, happy to be there, and making this whole process a lot easier. I'm thinking of this Mercury retrograde as being very similar to the one that happened a couple months ago in Sagittarius, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you've got a Jupiter-ruled Mercury, which also means a Mercury that's in a sign it's not very happy with, but is getting a lot of support from... Uh, Daddy J in his home in his home turf mm-hmm. and the other thing is Mercury's making hard aspects to Neptune throughout this retrograde oh my that's a double whammy <laughs> not an actual double whammy but a one two punch well the stereotype of Mercury retrograde which everyone's heard of is transportation going wrong miscommunication technology uh, failing yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, mishaps around travel and all sorts of stuff like that. But that's not necessarily what Mercury retrograde specifically has to do with so much as an afflicted Mercury, a -hmm. Mercury that's not doing so well. When Mercury is not doing so well in other ways than being retrograde, you find that too. Like if Mercury is too close to the sun, and ruling the ascendant, then you have technology issues. We had a little bit of that on the (laughs) podcast. Although I think, hopefully you haven't noticed it. (laughs) Um, But uh, kind of hard. But you also find it when Mercury is making a hard aspect to Neptune. Conjunction, opposition, square, I'll throw the quincunx in there too. Mm Mm-hmm. Usually Mercury, Neptune, hard aspects only last a day or two, and you'll have a brief period where stuff goes wrong. But here, Mercury, while retrograde, in a, in a sign that it struggles in, is making three hard aspects to Neptune. One pre-retrograde, one during the retrograde, one post-retrograde. Mm-hmm. But I'm also comparing it to the previous Mercury retrograde in Sagittarius, in that everything worked out in the end. (laughs) It was a lot of practical jokes. Mercury is the trickster god. Mm -hmm. And Mercury likes to mess with you. 
But this isn't a malicious retrograde. Jupiter's no. playing too much of a role. Right. There'll be a gnarly one in July, but <laughs> this one is going to be just <laughs> aggravating and annoying, but everything will work out in the end. And also, I think it always depends on what your life is calling you to do or what your, uh, what your responsibilities and desires are during a given retrograde. Like in this one, as we were saying earlier about um, the artistic nature or the artistic activity as it, and, and giving yourself time, you were saying, Arthur, like if you, if you can as much as possible um, give yourself time to, to do things and especially I think this might apply to just about any Mercury retrograde, but to um, activities that start with the prefix re like rehearse, um, retreat, refresh, review, uh, review. Yeah. Especially review. Um, Even repair. Repair. Yeah. (laughs) Or revisit. That's, that's really, I I think that's a way to really use the retrograde as an opportunity. Um, Yeah. I've, slightly unrelated to that but um i've always found just from talking to clients and friends and stuff that people born in a mercury retrograde the actual retrograde portion in the middle so it won't show up on your chart in like astro.com as a retrograde if it's in pre or post shadow which is interesting because <laughs> i was born during a post shadow and i had no idea why i had such a hard time as a child and then as my progress mercury went totally direct i became way better at communicating and i didn't know if that's eight other episodes i just rattled off there but um i've always found you know people born with mercury and retrograde to have an easier time uh, my partner has mercury and retrograde and he's always like i never knew why like three weeks out of the year every once in a while i was just so far ahead of everybody else you know and then i just got knocked back <laughs> when it's over but i'm wondering how that will be given that this retrogrades in pisces for even people with natal mercury retrogrades, I wonder. That's more of a speculative question. Good yeah. question. I like that question. <laughs> well, they'll be dealing with the afflictions of Mercury and Pisces and the affliction of Mercury in hard aspect to Neptune. But like you say, when you if you've got a planet retrograde natally, then when it goes retrograde by transit, you're not really as affected by it. Yeah. Or or alternately, like you're saying, that's when you come alive. Yeah, people with Mars retrograde natally every two years they get everything done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the fact that Mercury is a trickster god is something we tend to forget about sometimes. Really, that yeah. we associate Mercury with communication and with these kinds of nitty gritty details, which in some ways, or or, or sometimes organization. But which sometimes, being, you know, those are more Apollo. If, if you look at the, like, take the Greek pantheon, for instance, or the Homeric Mercury, it, the Homeric Mercury is really, the tri- is really a trickster god and actually steals, um, you, you know, he steals the cattle from his brother Apollo. And um, there's this whole story about the way that he does that. And, um, and the fact that Mercury is constantly playing with us is sort of... Uh, you know, it's this reminder not to take things too seriously and to remember that it may, maybe it's not important that we have an excess of efficiency of things being so efficient all the time. What is this human need we have for things yeah. to be so efficient all the time? You know, it's not really a mercurial value, actually. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. And the duality of Mercury, too, on the other end of it, maybe not necessarily actively being a trickster, but just like personality wise you never really know where they were coming from you know they're coming and going and you know the quote-unquote gossip like mercury knew everything it represented communication you know so like even passively was still kind of fingering every pie sort of thing like meddling without intending to meddle like don't shoot the messenger type of stuff you know he was the messenger so he was bringing all these communications and, and whatnot so yeah, and also the friendliest of the gods too. That's, right. That's what, yeah. <laughs> so that'll be hanging out for a while. Yeah, most of the month of March, you've got Mercury retrograde, and you've got Mercury in Pisces retrograde or direct until the middle of April. So it's about two months of Mercury in Pisces, the middle month of which is retrograde. Right. And usually, you know, when Mercury's going top clip, 
they'll take like two, three weeks to go through a sign. Right. Yeah. So that's just something to know. Whatever house in your chart has Pisces, it's going to get a lot louder. (laughs) There's going to be a lot more thought. There's going to be a lot more need to communicate there. And it's going to be hard to communicate with words there. So, Yeah, that's good to know. I think one good thing that can come out of this with spending so much time with Mercury and Pisces is learning how to communicate without words. Because yeah. if you've got Mercury and Pisces natally, you struggle for the early part of your life with figuring out how to communicate like that, and then eventually you learn. Whether it's through art or music or just speaking in poetry and metaphor all the time. <laughs> Yeah, and, and part of communicating, too, is an act of service. And I think, really, the, both Pisces and Virgo deal with service in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how, to, how to bring attention to where we're being of service in life, in, in our communities or in our relationships or jobs, whatever the case may be, without words, too. That's, yeah. Yeah. I feel like Virgo is service and Pisces is more sacrifice. Mm. Yeah, that's how I've or or figurative service as opposed to like like concrete service, like picking up groceries for you. Well, I think there are different forms of service. I mean, y- yes, definitely. I don't disagree. Pisces would be sacrifice, but um, but it's but there are parts of Pisces that are colored by a certain, it it definitely has a spiritual component. So it's service that's seen through a spiritual lens or that's definitely, it's connected to a larger spiritual reason that's transcendent of just like, you know, I'm mindlessly taking out the trash or something like that. Uh, (laughs) Not, and Virgo isn't mindless either, but, but there is a, yeah, there's a spiritual color to the service. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. And, you know, this is all happening, you know, under, at the time of Uranus finally coming out of its retrograde. Right. Oh, or, retro shadow, but Uranus is so large and slow that it's taken a hot minute. Yeah. So outer planets like Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, they spend about half the year retrograde, mm-hmm. give or take. And... I think Uranus going Uranus leaving its retrograde shadow is one thing, but we've also got Uranus going back into Taurus. Like literally, I think it's with within a day. I'm not I'm not sure if, if it's within 24 hours off the top of my head, but uh, Mercury stations retrograde on March 5th, and then you've got the new Moon and Uranus entering Taurus on March 6th. So it'll be an interesting few days. <laughs> yeah, it's been like that, where everything's clustered around the same couple of days around the lunation. So what do you want to say about Uranus and Taurus, Margaret? Well, um, let's, let's think, go back in the Wayback Machine. When did it first go into Taurus last year? May. Yeah. So in May, well, I'm a Taurus sun, Um me too. Five degrees. So, <laughs> so this is going to hit me in the next few years. I'm going to, you know, if I completely change into another person, then you'll know why. Um, but uh, I decided to move to the West Coast, like almost on a whim after meeting who's now a very close friend of mine. Um, but the first day we ever hung out, we sat down and just told our entire life story. And she's like, man, you know, you need to make a change. And I was like, yup, I'm, I'm moving. I'm leaving. <laughs> and I was like the drop of a dime. And then, um, met the love of my life like a month later <laughs> or like started being with him a month later. So I decided to not move anymore. But the fact that it was just like, but in that Uranus powered moment, I was like, no, like I'm leaving and I'm doing it for me. Goodbye. <laughs> you know, and it was really empowering. And like sudden, you know, it's very Uranian. Like, hey, you're gonna move a thousand miles away. Bye, see ya. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's great. That's an inspiring story. Yeah, that's quite an experience. Well, yeah. Taurus is your ninth house. Yep. Which is long distance travel. Yep. Taurus doesn't. Taurus 
I feel like it doesn't quite make sense to assign dignity, like rulership and exaltation to the outer planets. But there is something to be said about the outer planets doing better in some signs than others. And Taurus Mm -hmm. is not a happy place for Uranus. And both in terms of (laughs) Uranus not being happy to be there and Taurus not being happy to have Uranus there. Because what Uranus does is shake things up. What Uranus does is big sudden changes and revolution and uh, earthquakes. And Taurus is the rock-solid Earth that does not want to move. Earthquakes physically cracking foundations, you know, like... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Taurus wants that pyramid building kind of focus and, and permanence and steadiness. And Uranus yeah. makes things happen with a lightning strike. Yeah. Right, it just shatters the whole thing, you know. I keep thinking so of foundation. a Jenga. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I keep thinking I'm of like, a Jenga tower with Uranus. I like that. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Pull out the wrong piece and the whole thing just collapses. Right, right. It's um, like it has to change. You want to keep building it, but it has to change, you know. You have to pull. <laughs> you know, like, have to pull it out. Uranus yeah. is like a... I think I read somewhere a, a sub-generational planet, which uh-huh. we know this because it moves slowly. I recently went on a Facebook rant about Pluto generations earlier today, so I'm on the generational bent. Um, but Pluto being about 15-ish years, which is how we, quote-unquote, define you know, generations sociologically or however say. But Uranus being about half that kind of splits. Like You might not feel like you relate to someone who's 15 years older than you, because they might be in a different chunk of the Uranus subgeneration or the Neptune subgeneration than you, which I think mm. is pretty cool. Right. Um, but yeah, Uranus in Taurus, more generationally speaking, we might be encountering issues of like food, sudden food shortages, shortages, or sudden food like booms, you know, like surplus. They're learning um, how to grow meat on trees. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm using yeah, like the term tree very loosely. It's some lab-grown thing. Yeah, but they have lab-grown meat. Yeah, and it's certainly bringing revolution to Uranus brings revolution to food, to commodities, to security, to value, to aesthetics. A lot of great art gets made during the Uranus and Taurus era, and it's going to be there for about eight years. Yeah. But on a personal level, whatever has been going, whatever house Taurus is in your chart is a place where you don't like to change or make sudden movements. You just sort of get stuck there. And Uranus coming in is going to force things to shake up, is going to force change to happen suddenly. And it doesn't mean immediately. It can happen any time over the next eight or so years but there are going to be sudden changes. I think we right. saw a preview of what those changes are going to be with Mars entering Taurus on Valentine's Day. I certainly did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I had a mentor who said, who talking about Uranus said, um, change doesn't have to mean loss. And I'm still chewing, you know, as a Taurus, as Ooh. a Taurus son, I'm still chewing on that one. Yeah, that's a chewy one. Over and over. He said, change does not have to mean loss. Well, cows oh, take a long time to chew on things. Yeah. It's yeah. so gripping <laughs> for a Taurus son or a Taurus, you know, any placement of especially the luminaries and the rising. But like, you know, shaking your identity up is not something we like very, yeah. very much. <laughs> we don't like that. <laughs> Everybody's talking about cryptocurrency with Uranus and Taurus. And I feel like people who are insistent that cryptocurrency is the future are grossly underestimating the unpredictability of Uranus. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Currency getting shaken up is part of the Uranus and Taurus story. How we define what has value and massive sudden changes to that, that's going to happen over the next eight years. Cryptocurrency is going to be part of that story, but we don't know what part. We don't know what that's going to look like 
and placing all of your money into a cryptocurrency investment seems like trying to build a foundation on a, on a fault line. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. It could go either way. It could go either. It could go. I don't even think either way. It yeah, could it could go, go anyway. <laughs> anyway, at all. Yeah. One of the one trick I learned, and I forget who taught me this. It might have been Ann Ortley, who I love. But one trick to deal with Uranus transits, if you're afraid of what's going to happen, is to think of everything that could possibly happen that you don't want to happen. Write it all down. And then none of those things will happen. Oh, good mm. call. It's <laughs> quite a hack. <laughs> yeah. Astro <Yeah>. hack. <laughs> that reminds me of uh, Hodorowsky talking about how um, Alejandro Hodorowsky talking about how he says all predictions act like curses. And he says that if somebody gets a, a negative prediction from a reader or something, the, the, the antidote is to um, fulfill the prediction metaphorically. So if like, Someone gives you the prediction that you'll get into a car crash, take a toy car, and like just just crash it into the wall. Oh. They're like, oh, there, it's happened. Yeah. That's excellent. <laughs> well, that's actually a great tool for dealing with difficult astrological stuff in general. Yeah. We've got a set of archetypes. We've got a set of metaphors. But when you take that set of archetypes and metaphors and you turn it into something you're actually okay with happening then you can deal with difficult transits. If you're in a happy long-term marriage and Taurus is your seventh house and you're afraid that it's going to break up your marriage, shake up your marriage. Go on more vacations with your partner. Change things up. Try new things in the bedroom. Explore and experiment and innovate within your relationship. If you're worried about that in Taurus as your seventh house. Whatever house Taurus is, if you're afraid of bringing certain changes there that you don't want, intentionally choosing to shake things up and introduce innovations and experimentation over the next eight years is going to help deal with that. The challenge is it's the Taurus house and Taurus doesn't like to change. So... Taurus is go- the Taurus house is going to have to learn to change because ready or not, Uranus is coming. Right. Yeah, every sign has things that, that it has to learn. And that's just the way it goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, but, but it's kind of a, you know, in, in much as the same way as a choose your own adventure book is still about an adventure. It's just how you approach the adventure. That's kind of how you can frame this sort of experience exactly and if you go into it kicking and screaming you're the one gonna get kicked and start screaming (laughs) right Right. (laughs) yep and then on Uh, on top of that though we got the lunation cycle to deal with so like on top of everything we just mentioned (laughs) yeah right around those couple of days of march 5th and 6th we've got the new moon in pisces yeah on the same day that uranus (laughs) goes into taurus so it's at 15 degrees of pisces it's on yeah. March 6th. It's at 11.04 a.m. in New York time. And uh, it is exactly conjunct... It is conjunct Neptune within a few minutes. Within less... By less than half a degree. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this is just a lot of Pisces energy. I'll soak it up. Oh, it's gonna be so. It's dreamy. So dreamy. <laughs> it's yeah. dreamy, but it's also, I mean, Jupiter is squaring it from Sagittarius. Right. So it's got a more positive. Uh, it's got a more positive quality than I might worry about with all that Pisces. <laughs> so dreamy and floaty, but also maybe. I almost want to say be careful not to overindulge, but for some people that's just going to work out really well. <laughs> I would say be conscious of your relationship with indulgence. That's a good call. Like if you have a problem with overindulgence and it doesn't tend to work out well for you, then be particularly mindful of 
how you indulge during this period of time around uh, March 5th, 6th, 7th. But uh, on the other hand, if you're a workaholic, fucking go for it. (laughs) (laughs) If you're a workaholic and you're not prone to indulgence, then take the night off. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I would, I, I, that's, that's a great point. And, and I would say also as a counter to um, the overindulgence factor, this is an invitation to look at where you're serving again, service um, and what you're adapting to because Pisces can be very adaptable to, to whatever environment, whatever energy it's in. And I'm thinking of um, my extended family in Mexico has this, this sort of aphorism or thing they say a lot. They say, um, no, no te adaptes uh, a que no te hace feliz. So don't, don't adapt to what don't adapt to something that doesn't make you happy. Don't adapt to a situation that doesn't make you happy. Um, and this, I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at how this is the second, this is in the second decan of Pisces, which is, um, this has, this has a lot of different creatures associated with its fixed, with the fixed stars there. Um, but a lot of it is about the symbolism talks about sacrifice, as you were saying earlier, Arthur, and, um, where, where the material and the spiritual meet in the form of service. Um, so there's obviously, there's great potential for kind of spiritual reflection there. What is spiritually important to me? What sorts of communities and situations on a spiritual level am I serving well and, and, how, and, and serving my own self-sovereign soul because Vesta is also Vesta is also in this configuration too. That's sort of the the steadiness of the of of the soul unto itself. Um, but there's also the potential we know for our energies to go towards situations and groups of people that it's like we're adapting to it because that's that's the habitual way that we've learned and it's not necessarily. I don't want to say it's not necessarily serving you because that's become kind of a cliche, but, 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 but seriously, it's not, um, it, it, it's become not a health not so much of a healthy situation. So, so I think this lunation is inviting a little bit of reflection on that, on those themes. I also think it's a bit of a balm for the, for whatever people were dealing with, with the Mars Saturn square, uh, <laughs> previous couple of months. Yeah. And I'm saying that because you've got Mars is slowly working towards the trine with Saturn and you've mm-hmm. got this new moon yeah. right in the middle of that trine forming a sextile to both ends. Especially around January, there was just all of this running up against obstacles of frustrated efforts of trying to push, trying to go, trying to move, and having it just meet a brick wall over and over again. Mm. And now with Mars moving to Trine Saturn, um, it's providing some balm. It's providing some easing of that pain. That's great, yeah. Yeah, excellent. I'm also seeing the um, Venus separating from its square to Uranus. Um, yeah, during Taurus. Yeah. Let's talk about Venus and Aquarius, actually. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're jumping right. around a bit this episode, but it's the Mercury <laughs> retrograde March episode. It's it's to be expected. <laughs> so Venus enters Aquarius on March first. It's the first thing that happens in March, and I'm a fan of Venus and Aquarius. She doesn't have a particularly good or bad time there. But uh, according to traditional dignity, but she's innovative there. So Venus was in Capricorn from early February, from around Feb 3rd. And she's taking about a month per sign right now. So on March 1st, she enters Aquarius. And well, Margaret, what do you want to say about Venus and Aquarius? Venus and Aquarius? Well... You know, Venus is the love and the beauty planet, obviously. And Aquarius is a really interesting, you know, I have a planet there and I still find it kind of hard to describe. It's very like, I love you, dude. Kind of energy. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
man, I sure do love you. And then you, you give him kind of a shoulder pat, but it's like really intense, but also not. Because I mean, Aquarius is a fixed sign. Everyone always seems to get that. Like mm-hmm. Aquarian energy is just as fixed and stubborn as, as anybody else. Um, mm-hmm. Being Taurus, Leo, and, and Scorpio, Aquarius is fixed too. Venus there is a really cool customer. Not as much as, say, a femme fatale, like Venus and Scorpio archetype or Venus and the 8th archetype, but um, modern decor also, because Venus rules beautiful things. So modern art and decor, you might find your tastes are a little more sleek and a little more minimalistic. You might even go through a minimalistic um, house cleaning, especially with Mercury and retrograde. You might get rid of a bunch of your stuff because you just, it's clutter. Um, I've seen that happen with Aquarian beauty standards. Loose term, I don't mean standards, but Aquarian beauty tastes are quite minimalistic sometimes. So this retrograde, you might end up getting rid of a bunch of your stuff. Yeah. Um, I have seen that. Yeah, with Venus and Aquarius while Mercury is going retrograde. That's a great point, yeah. (laughs) Aquarius has a reputation for emotional disconnection. Yes. (laughs) God, I saw this terrible astrology shitpost meme. (laughs) that was like Aquarius on their wedding day I mean we talking or whatever (laughs) and like that's Venus and Aquarius Venus and Aquarius is connected but not attached absolutely Venus, Venus does her function of connection and intimacy from a little bit of a uh like you said a cool customer stand yeah yeah, definitely a cool customer. For that coolness. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't mean they don't care. It's just they're not big on showing it. Not unless there's some cancer or some Pisces in the, in the mix. Yeah, or at least not showing it in the ways that we expect Venus to, to show love and affection and intimacy. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, And I think it has to do with you've both been saying this in different ways, but um, an unconventional relationship to beauty or or an expression of beauty that flouts convention or breaks convention. Um, Because if we look at even the lore behind Aquarius, um, it takes us back to Ganymede, who was this farm boy, and Zeus spotted him in the fields one day and decided, because he had this beautiful golden hair, he said, this is such a beautiful boy, I want him to, I want to bring him up to the realm of the deathless ones and, uh, and have him as my cupbearer. So, I mean, different versions of the story say, you know, that Zeus transformed into an eagle, swooped down, took Ganymede up, you know, and, and that Ganymede had this big golden bowl with red, um, you know, whatever, wine, ambrosia, nectar, they call it, inside of the bowl, and that he would just be there mixing this bowl. And Hera was grudgingly, jealously watching you know, Hera's disapproval. Um, and, and anyway, so Ganymede was given uh, the constellation of Aquarius with this, with the inverted, the, the inverted bowl, with the inverted cup bearing. And, but the fact that Ganymede was beautiful and that he, he had this beautiful golden bowl, beautiful golden locks of hair, um, uh, that there's, there's, there's a relationship between beauty and wisdom there, beauty and ideas and 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 how we conceive of beauty and in terms of venus ganymede was also in certain myths a playmate of eros who was venus's son and venus you know there were stories about venus watching ganymede and eros playing dice or playing with i don't know some of the stories say golden knuckles which is kind of a weird thing to imagine but um <laughs> yeah and i think the that the talking about uh one of the um, same-sex love stories of Greek myth reminds me how much Aquarius has to do with queerness. Mm. Or you, I often find strong Aquarius placements in people who are outspokenly queer. Um, but I don't know if that has as much to do with the Ganymede story so much as it is that Aquarius has this aspect of the outcast and the exile. Um the person who is on the fringes of society and we live in a society that pushes queerness to the fringes. Anything non-traditional. Yeah. You know, no. Yeah. Whoever well, created tradition is another conversation, but anything that's not 
you know, in the traditional manner, whatever we happen to push would be traditional. I would. Yeah. Well, Saturn rules both Capricorn and Aquarius and Capricorn wants to do things the way they have been done. Capricorn wants to follow the tradition. Whereas Aquarius wants to establish the new tradition. Aquarius comes up with a great idea for how everybody should do things forever. But it's the Aquarius. (laughs) So there is the introducing of innovations there, but it's also very fixed and stubborn and Saturnian as this is the way it is going to be done. Aquarius always makes me think of Brave New World in many, many ways. But like, you know, it's it's common for science fiction authors of the past and, and the present to have kind of Aquarian placements. Like Brave New World was, and I'm not sure about 1984. They, again, I don't know about the author's charts. I just know the feelings that they give me in my gut. But um, they were just like, oh my, oh my goodness. Like, how could anyone ever think this way? Like making children in test tubes and separating society into groups and blah, 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 blah. And then they're always like 30 years ahead of the time. And then you read it 30 years later and you're like, wow, maybe not literally, but figuratively you see all these quote unquote innovative, maybe innovation rock in Brave New World sense, but right. How Aquarius almost is sitting there again, cool as can be saying this is going to happen. And nobody believes them. You know, it's like the the person hanging out at the bar just being like, just just wait. Like, you'll see. And everyone's like, you're crazy, man. And then 30, 40, 50 years later, it's happening. And they're like, oh, oh maybe I should have listened. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's maybe good. I should have heated that a little bit more. That's a great point, um, Margaret. And, and, I think, and Brave New World is, I've seen Brave New World referenced sometimes when, um, talking about Saturn as the ruler of the golden age in certain, in certain mythologies that Saturn, you know, supposedly ruled the golden age, which was a very stable, prosperous time when the, which was, which was completely peaceful, um, but also completely unemotional and, and void of passion in a lot of ways. Yeah. But that was the difference between the Olympians and the Titans was that the Titans were concerned like Saturn concerned with these very impersonal forces so there was no need for anything in that system, supposedly, other than this kind of lockstep conformity, because the accounts say every people were content with that, right? But the Olympians, like Zeus and and so forth, other people we've talked about on this podcast, other gods and goddesses, are concerned with actually bringing the passions into life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's an excellent point. Yeah. I do want to be conscious. We've talked a lot about Aquarius, but not so much specifically Venus there. It's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So all of this quality of this futurism and this disconnection and all of these things coming into how beauty and aesthetic are expressed mm-hmm. and relation. For most of March, and then Venus goes into Pisces on the 26th, Venus loves being in Pisces. Yeah. Let's yeah. get to the full moon before we go there, though. Because on the 20th, we've got the full moon in Libra. Mm-hmm. And it's on the same day the sun enters Aries and is conjoined Chiron. Oh. So the full moon is on March 20th at about 9.43 p.m. in New York time. So you've got the moon at zero degrees of Libra, the sun at zero degrees of Aries, Chiron at one degree of Aries. And you've got that Venus and Aquarius we've been talking about ruling the moon. Closely square, yeah, I think that's the same day Venus squares Mars, or about then. So Mars ruling the sun, you've got the ruler of the sun and the moon in a hard aspect, a nearly exact hard aspect with Chiron involved. And zero degrees of cardinal signs is a critical degree and stuff on those degrees tends to be very big and very public. And so you're going to get really big news around this full moon. Probably not too pleasant news either. (laughs) At least, well, the news is never pleasant these days. (laughs) 
So we'll <laughs> write down, write down all the news that you don't want to hear. <laughs> then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's only works. Yeah. That only works for solar eclipses. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that only works for solar and lunar eclipses and Uranus. This right. we know the politics it will be. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Yeah, again, it's a lot of urgency. There's a lot of urgency involved with this. There's a lot of big stuff going on in, in yeah, the air. Interesting times. Like, I've had this sense basically ever since the middle of this month that, like, I can't add on anything more and nothing is going to get, like, catapulted until May. So, yeah, it's just maybe that's what it is. You know, I'm sitting around and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, I have to maintain everything I have currently going. I can't add any new irons to this fire <laughs> to clean out some old ones. Yeah, although with these, you know, with these zero degrees uh, lunations and 29 degrees, <laughs> 29 into zero, the impulse is always there for adding, either adding or cutting off or, you know, breaking things or <laughs> starting yeah. a new project. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, there's all the, this Pisces, Aries, cusp, 29 Pisces, zero Aries is seeing all this action right now yeah. between the Chiron shifting signs and the full moon in March and, and Mercury stationing retrograde. And I think I want to talk about that in a different sense than the beginning and the end of the Zodiac because I feel like it's more than that. And I feel like whether or not the Zodiac actually begins at Aries is starting to be a little controversial from traditional astro Twitter, which I don't even know what's up with that. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> yeah, astro Twitter, man. Um, what a place. But there, yeah, there is this quality, though, of of this ancientness, of this pure universality of everything all at once all the time into what can we do right now what is going on right here what is directly in front of me i am babby kind of you know immediate action right. and i think that's what this full moon is good for like the new i'm oh i almost forgot to mention that the new moon would be a great time to start major new artistic pro artistic projects. But this full moon on the 20th is very good for finally for it's other, it's another good starting shit moon. It is yeah. very much begin at the beginning as an energy, but there's a lot of conflict there too. And there's a lot of gendered conflict there with Venus and Mars, but uh, Venus getting the upper hand. Venus getting a nice sextile from Jupiter. Yeah. Yeah. And Mars getting the quincunx in Jupiter, which is not nearly as nice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of the theme of this of this episode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Chiron in, in Aries, um, I you know, I, I guess I'll go here since the sun is is conjunct Chiron and Aries for this lunation. Um, I've been thinking about this story that's been, I've been carrying around this story with me for a while and, and I, I did, for the longest time I didn't understand why. And now with Chiron and Aries, the other day I had this insight of like, oh yeah, that's why this story is with me. And um, I don't remember off the top of my head what tribe it's from, but it's a story of, uh, of a boy named Long Arrow. And, um, Basically, the premise of the story is that Long Arrow was born into this village where everyone thought that he was deaf. That basically, every, everyone thought he was deaf and stupid, and both. And um, and as a result, kind of exiled him from the tribe. He was an he became an outcast. Um, now he also had a sister who was accepted. Who who was also thought to be sort of slow as people called her, but uh, was accepted into the tribe because she was, people found her beautiful. Um, so poor Long Arrow was all by himself and uh, the tribe move, it was started moving to another village one day 
and he was crying out for help and saying, please accept me, please let me move with the tribe to the village. And the elders were just turning, his, turning their backs on him and saying, no, you've been deemed unfit for the tribe, sorry. Um, and so they walked away you know, through the forest and then Long Arrow just had this, this impulse and started running through the woods uh, as fast as he could run, even though the rest of them had disappeared from his vision. And, um, and even though, so, so, so people thought he was deaf, it was never really specified whether this was a literal deafness or like a metaphorical deafness. But at a certain point while Long Arrow was running, they say in the story that his ears popped open and suddenly he could hear like all of the rushing streams and rivers and brooks and sounds of the world and that he heard them in a totally new way. And he finally found the tribal elders and, uh, and, and he went up to the chief whose name was Good Running and he called out, Good Running. And Good Running, Running had this like shocked expression on his face. So what are you doing here? We had, we had left you behind. And, and Long Arrow started listening to, to Good Running and could suddenly understand what Good Running was saying because of however his ears had popped open on that journey. And Good Running saw that there was this new level of understanding or awareness taking place in Long Arrow. And Good Running found it in, in his heart to say, you know, before you were deemed deaf and stupid and unfit to be part of the tribe, you had a name. And now up to this point, Long Arrow didn't know what his name was. And Good Running said, your name was Long Arrow because you could, you could see far and you could, um, you, it was deemed that your soul would be able to go long distances and to go far. So now let us, let us all give you a chance to grow into your name that you were given at birth. Um, anyway, that was a bit, a bit longer of a story than I had anticipated. <laughs> no, than I thought it was fascinating. Um, and the story actually goes on. It has a second part after that. But that's the, the kind of crux of it was that Long Arrow took this big journey, um, you know, fought like hell against his wound. And... And, and came to this new level of acceptance where like that first fight that that first battle that he engaged with um, in his, in his act of running uh, through that, he discovered what his name was. He just, he found his name and who he was. So I've just been thinking about this story in regards to Chiron and Aries. And that came up for me now, just looking at this lunation with the sun conjunct Chiron there, right there thinking about that story in Karen and Aries, it's like there's a theme of the woundedness based on almost this pure state of being, this, this pure form that is so pure form, it is formless, like an infant, that it is this quality of very new, very childlike, very much at the beginning and what it needs is this impulse to just move, to just run and run and run or punch a punching bag or just get this energy out. Yes. And it is through the act of working on this energy, of pushing forward, of moving when you need to move that the wound is worked through. Yeah and the name as well mm -hmm. so this whole Chiron and Aries story is issues of action and identity and anger and pushing forward yes all of which is being highlighted by this full moon yeah so it may be in Libra and you may expect with the Libra that it's nice and social <laughs> and everyone gets along, but you've got the sun on Chiron and you've got the ruler of the moon, Venus and a square to Mars. So yeah. there's a lot of Marsy aggression in this stubbornness with the stubbornness with the, that being a fixed square. Too. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I do feel like we've got other stuff we want to cover, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's talk about Venus and Pisces, then. Venus loves We're... Pisces. Yeah. <laughs> Venus is exalted in Pisces. Venus does so well in Pisces, I think, because Pisces is the sign of universal compassion for the one and all, and Venus is the planet of love. So that love is turned into a love for 
everyone and everything, which can be a bit much at times to deal with. That is a lot of love to fit in a human heart, and some people have more capacity for that than others. Yeah, absolutely. It is nice to have Venus in a state where she's super happy. Because while Venus is in Pisces, we're going to have both benefics, both Venus and Jupiter, in signs that they're particularly happy in, both answering to a particularly happy Jupiter. So Venus is going to be in Pisces from around March 26th until uh, April 20th. That's just going to be a much nicer Venus. Sweet and gentle and lovey-dovey and uh, cuddly as opposed to Venus and Aquarius. And that artistic impulse is just going to be doing super well then. Like all of the art that you were planning during the Mercury retrograde in Pisces, it's now, oh, now here's all of this art actually coming out for people who make art. And everybody should make some art. Even if you're just doing crappy little doodles, it doesn't matter. You made an art. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You could also say artistically that um, Venus is the sensual expression and Pisces is the vision, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Vision vision and expression look for each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's the spiritual in the aesthetic. It is the religious in the romantic. There's a bunch of other stuff we could talk about, individual aspects, but (laughs) I don't want to keep this episode going on forever. Well, I mean, we we hit we hit the hue of the month. We hit yeah. the hue of uh, the month. Yeah, absolutely. The I hue is that. definitely there. You know, the individual stuff. If you're not completely overwhelmed by everything else that's already happening, if you're feeling a particular way on a particular day, you can give it a give it a look see. Yeah, you know, this is what's going to be coloring the world. <laughs> I do want to mention Mars going into Gemini on the thirty first. Yeah. Oh yeah, That's absolutely. Because Mars, I you know I tend to. I posted something on Twitter about this. I may have mentioned this last month, where the first couple of degrees of Mars, it's like, yay, Mars in a new sign, and then Mars gets to the last degrees, and it's so much to deal with, and then Mars <laughs> goes into a new sign, and it's up again, <laughs> and that is my life as Mars food. But, uh, <laughs> Mars in Gemini is very different from Mars in Taurus. Mars in Taurus is slow, steady, and Mars doesn't do well with slow and steady. And then it's a very big change in speed. Because Taurus is one of the slowest moving signs, maybe the slowest moving sign. And Gemini is certainly one of the fastest, if not the fastest. So all of that passion, that sexuality, that, you know... Voom gets into Gemini on the 31st and it's like, okay, we're up now. I'm awake now. It's like Mars gets in three shots of espresso. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you folks wanted to say more about that or if we're just kind of tired at this point. I mean, it's Pisces season. This is a very, this is an excellent microcosm. Pisces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think you said it there. Yeah. All right, then. So, on that note, let's call it an episode before the three of us pass out in our chair. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If folks want to find us, we are Bird's Eye Astrology on Twitter and Instagram and Patreon. If you'd like to support our podcast and help keep this going and help us get nicer microphones, you can support us at patreon.com slash bird's eye astrology. If you want to email us about any questions, any suggestions, any feedback, you can reach us at bird's eye astrology at gmail.com. Uh, I am on Twitter at lip and bone on Instagram at readings by Arthur. Margaret, what's your social media? I am on Twitter and um, in my personal instagram is at madmarg underscore so m-a-d-m-a-r-g underscore um and i also have my astrology business skyroots astrology on instagram as well awesome my instagram is mythopoetic underscore astrology and my facebook also mythopoetic astrology all right so 
that's the episode for this month and we'll see you next time bye bye